Today on The Mindful Femme, we're covering two very important but very difficult topics to talk about. A trigger warning for our listeners that this episode is about body dysmorphia, and we will be discussing eating disorders, weight gain, weight loss, and other habits of disordered eating. But firstly, we'd like to do our civic duty and talk to our listeners about the importance of voting. And we'll give you all an update on some very important voter information, such as early voting dates, voting deadlines, where you can vote, and how you can vote. And we'll be giving a lot of information on specifically the DMV area, because that's where we're both from. Yes. So, first of all, listen up. (laughs) (laughs) we're not messing around seriously guys we're not because if you think you've heard it enough times you have not you need to go vote voter registration is reportedly down 38 percent from the 2016 presidential election so if you don't have your act together by now and you haven't registered we're talking to you and this tidbit is for you If you have been registered in the past for primaries and other elections, which I'm sure many people have if you've gone to college and like you registered to vote while you're in college um, or at any point if you're older than 18 and you've registered to vote before and you haven't gone and checked your registration status on your state's voting website, you should go do that. You should go do it now. And you should make sure that all of your info is up to date. Things like addresses. If you've moved addresses, especially for kids in college, you need to change your address from your college hometown to where you're living now. Um, If things like your license, if you got a new license and your license expiration date has changed, all that stuff needs to get updated. Um, And we'll have state voting websites linked down below so you can easily just go find your legit state's voting website. Mm -hmm. And so... In this presidential election, it's expected that people of color, young people, and single women will constitute 64% of voters for this, this election cycle. So the demographic of our listeners, like that is that is you, that is us. We need to we need to go vote. Young people specifically, like Gen Z and millennials, make up 37% of all eligible voters. That doesn't mean 30% of all registered voters. That means people that could register to vote. 37% Mm -hmm. of our population is people that are our age and that has the potential to make 37% of the change in the votes. Um, So it it would be great if all those people went from (laughs) eligible to actually registered. (laughs) Thank you to Emerson Collective, which is an Instagram account, for um, giving all of those statistics that we listed above. And so our call to action to you guys listening this week is for you to ask five people you know if they're registered to vote. And if they say no, don't be stingy. Help your people vote. So like Abby said, we'll be linking resources in the description down below that you can send to your friends and your family and encourage them to get registered and help them get registered so that everyone can vote. Yes. And Casey and I also want to touch quickly on early voting because I know this is something that's different this year than any other year. And it's something that I wasn't really familiar with. And I know that a lot of states have changed um, their policies for voting early this year because in the past you were able to technically vote early, but you were required to give a reasoning, a written statement, basically in a reasoning for why you couldn't go in on Election Day. That is not the case in the majority of states this year. And that includes places like I know that includes um, 
LA County includes like California state laws. This also includes Virginia state laws and we'll go over some of the details of Maryland, um, uh, of DC as well. Yeah. Okay. So for everyone who lives in Virginia, which again is makes up the large demographic of our listeners, you can early vote at a registrar's office as early as 45 days before the election. So we're currently within that 45 days and this ends uh, the Saturday before election day. And you don't have to go to a specific location either. Like you can go to any of those. Um, right now they're kind of like satellite polling places. You can go to any of them in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So you should just do that because it's so easy. <laughs> just do it. Um, yes. And Maryland voters can vote as early as Monday, October 26th. So that's going to be at the end of this month. And you can vote all the way up until Monday of November 2nd. For D.C., it's almost the same date as Maryland, but you can vote um, starting October 27th until November 2nd. And just to be clear, some of these states don't have polling places open on the weekends. In fact, most of them don't. So don't guarantee that you can don't just uh, bank on voting on the weekend. I would still suggest voting like during work hours during the week. Right. And most of your companies should give you time off to go vote. Don't be afraid to ask for that. They have to do that. I think a lot of companies have to give you off an hour or something or however long you need to go vote. Yeah, I think so. I honestly have no idea, but you should. So it's not a weird thing to ask for. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And also just a little bit on what you need to bring when you go to vote, uh, because I did experience this. I went and voted last Friday and I went with my roommate and just some things that they asked of us when we went and we're both kind of from two different scenarios so just to give you an idea so in virginia you do need a valid license or id to verify your identity when you go to the polls um an example of when you might need something else is if you are voting in one state but you have a license or an id from another state for example my roommate has a registered either maryland or new jersey license but she's voting she's registered to vote in virginia but they needed something else to verify her identity other than her out-of-state license. Um, So they either ask you for a second form of ID, like a passport, or you sign a form just confirming who you are. Your ID says says that you are. Mm -hmm. Um, So you don't technically need another form, but it's just something that you might as well bring if you have it. Registered in one state, but you have an ID um, from another state. And also just a reminder to take your time outside of the polling place to look at signs for candidates. You're not just voting for, in almost every single place, you're not just voting for the president and vice president. Um, You're voting for things like a superintendent or school board members. Um, And you're probably not familiar with those people. So the ways you can check on that is either Googling before you go in, look at the signs before you go in. If you do vote by party, um, a lot of those signs like for school board members or whatever will say their political affiliation on them. Um, And there will be people from uh, each political party kind of roaming outside of the polling place. They have to keep a certain distance from the polling place. So they're often uh, at the parking lots or near the parking lots, and they will have flyers that give you basically a cheat sheet on your political party. So every for everything that's getting, um, for for all of the different members, board members, and superintendents, and um, you know everything that could be voted on for by political affiliation will be on that cheat sheet as well as any amendments because you're also voting on those like mm, potential yeah. amendments or um, 
things that have to get passed through your county will also get voted on. Like if your um, county is trying to include debt on a certain, um, I, I don't know, certain thing like the county, the school board or something is going to increase some debt this year. Are you OK with this? And because it's something they have to get approval of from the citizens. So things like that will also get voted on and you can get cheat sheets that basically tell you what to vote yes and no on mm. if you do vote by political affiliation. And if not, you should research them before you go in. Also, just a reminder that we are not experts on this. So if other people have extra information that we haven't covered um, or we got something wrong and we need to correct it immediately, please tell mm. us and we will correct it. Absolutely. And we can disseminate more important information to people. So that's our voter spiel. Again, please go out and register, guys. And next, let's hop into this week's topic, which is going to be body dysmorphia. This week, Casey and I are going to talk about our own experiences with body dysmorphia. Before we begin, we'd like to give a little disclaimer that we are speaking on our own experiences. We are not experts on the topic, and we recognize that no one experience with body dysmorphia, um, disordered eating, or negative self-talk in general is exactly alike. And we will also be touching a bit on disordered eating, like Casey mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, just to give a bit of a reminder of a trigger warning there. And so we wanted to talk about body dysmorphia today because with the pandemic that has been steering our lifestyles and the weather now is beginning to get colder, meaning that a lot of us are going to have more sedentary habits um, as temperatures drop outside, we may be moving into a time where people will be looking at their bodies in a harsher light. And so in this episode, we're going to be reflecting on our own experiences with body dysmorphia and give some ideas for how to curb it and give yourself some real love, some real self-love. No, that's what we all need right now. Yeah. Um, and we should also note that this concept of body dysmorphia um, is a concept, but it can also be a diagnosed condition, which is called body dysmorphic disorder or BDD. Um, but we are mostly talking about this condition and it's undiagnosed sometimes milder forms and more of uh as a con as a concept mm -hmm. um that a, a lot of the majority of people face um, in one form or another this is not to downplay those who have been diagnosed with bdd which affects um, about two percent of males about two percent of females in the u.s um but we want to speak on the universal experiences of individuals just nitpicking and criticizing the human body um, and how it's kind of been caused by our culture and, and how to combat it. First, we're going to be talking about our weight gain during this pandemic, something that I feel like a lot of people can relate to and something that I know I definitely experienced. Um, so as we kind of get into this, Abby, how are you feeling at the beginning of the pandemic when all of like the lockdown started happening and I don't know if you were on a normal workout schedule but if it was disrupted and kind of like where you were with that at that time yeah I wasn't super in a groove of working out at that point um so it didn't really disrupt too much I was like just getting into working out a bit more but not really um I had actually a few weeks before the pandemic began was in a pretty depressed state, which for me typically means that I'm not active. Um, and typically if, if it's a bad, um, a bad bout, then I'm also typically at a lower weight because I won't um, have as much hunger. Yeah. So when the pandemic started, I was actually at a pretty low weight, um, wasn't working out a lot. So it was pretty sedentary. 
And then once the pandemic began, um, I was actually in an okay mental state, but I did start gaining weight pretty quickly. I, I was working out a little bit. I made an intentional effort to work out a couple times a week, um, but that also teetered off after a month or two. And mm-hmm. it kind of, I, it really fluctuated with the pandemic. You know, I gained a lot of weight at the beginning, first couple months, and then I worked out a bit with my dad. So I stabilized my weight. Um worked out with my dad (laughs) my dad and I would have a workout schedule where we'd work out most days um it was really great and I felt super strong but because I was gaining that muscle I didn't lose a ton of weight Mm -hmm. um and then once I started my job in the summer I actually started losing a lot of weight uh, along with some medical stuff that was going on and some stress in my life I started losing a lot of weight and now I'm actually at a a pretty low weight probably um a little below what I started at when the pandemic began which is very strange but I think it's really truly because I just went through some stressful stuff in my life um that I I've never been able to lose weight at a normal pace um so it was it was definitely strange (laughs) I lost that weight um so I don't think my experience truly reflects what everyone has experienced except for the like at least five to ten pounds I gained in the first uh, few weeks of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, first, I think it's important to say, you know, like it's it's interesting. We all have such different experiences because I'm sure that everyone's got their own personal spin on how this affected them. And yeah, but I I commend you for sharing that. So thank you. Yeah, of course. What about you? What 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 have you gone through the past? What eight months right. now? Six, well, seven months? All year. Um, <laughs> yeah. So again, I was coming back from Spain, and I feel like a couple of years ago, I got into a really steady groove of exercising, and like I found what works for me. That I what like where I see consistent change in my body. What makes me comfortable with my body, and so in a way, I have stabilized my weight, or I had before the pandemic. And then I will say one thing that threw me off a lot was coming home and having to quarantine for two weeks, um, just because there were so many emotions going on at that time. And I couldn't really get outside to go for a run. And I also didn't really feel like it the first two weeks I was home. So I pretty much had to force myself to even just go outside and go for a walk. Um, And then, of course, as everything like stretched out, I started getting that like panicky, itchy feeling where I'm like, oh, I haven't worked out in a week. Oh no, like what's going to happen to my body? And I hate that. I hate that it's just this fear of like, you're letting yourself go and like, what are you going to do? And so I really just had to be graceful with myself. I just had to consciously be like, you know what? I'm going through a lot of shit right now and I just need to allow my body to do what it's going to do. And it's probably conserving energy, which is why I don't feel like working out. And so I probably went through maybe like a span of one to two months where I really wasn't that active and I definitely put on weight. And I know like one night I sat on my couch and I couldn't like lean back comfortably because I had this little roll that was like keeping me from (laughs) leaning back comfortably. And at the time I just, you know, like accepted it like lovingly. Like I was like, it's okay. Like welcome new friend. Like we're in this together. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, like, you know, it's an ebb and a flow. Like when that ebbed, I got back into my flow of working out. I felt like naturally I had more energy. I 
also started working out with my dad again. Like we would go for runs a couple of times a week and I started reincorporating strength training into my everyday and I just started doing more yoga again. So, you know, you just, it, for me, it was very like naturally when my body was ready to exercise again and when I had kind of worked out my stress and the strain that I was feeling from the pandemic, I felt like my urge to work out returned. Yeah. I feel like that's a lot of people probably felt that too. Like I felt that in the beginning I was like, all right, time to slump, like time to not go outside yeah. period. Cause I was scared, but also it was like, okay, time to relax and chill, mm-hmm. um, on a personal level, not on a global yeah. level. Um, <laughs> but then after a while you just get so stir crazy and your body just is like begging to be moved, you know? Yeah, that's yeah, true. All right. So we wanted to talk a bit, you know, we wanted to address that um, body dysmorphia might be something that people are dealing with now because of fluctuation in weight during this pandemic, which is putting a lot of stress on people's bodies. It's changing their ability to move, all of that. Um, and to just go into a bit more of the topic of body dysmorphia in general, we want to talk a bit about the history of body dysmorphia in our own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do feel like Now I don't feel all of the extremes of body dysmorphia anymore, but that's because of the experiences I've gone through so far in my life Mm -hmm. to lead me to where I am today. Um, And I know that some of the people listening probably haven't, um, might be dealing with the extremes of body dysmorphia for the first time now. So I think it would be helpful for us to just kind of go through our own histories with it, what we've experienced in the past and what's helped for our own experiences. Yeah, so I see you put here like puberty and body dysmorphia. This was like a huge thing for me because I thick thighs, man, genetic <laughs> thick thighs. Like <laughs> that came in at a very early age. I remember being as old as I think I was like 10 years old when I just had hips and thighs and mm-hmm. I would never hear the end of it in my family. Like it was always the women in my family just commenting like oh your little hips and like I just was very aware of what my body looked like at such a young age and I also think for a lot of women of color too um I mean for anybody but I just felt like very um sexualized at a very early age I remember like going to school and I was wearing this skirt and it was the same like you know, little girls wear like skirts to school. They wear tiny skirts to school. Mm-hmm. But I was, I remember I was wearing this skirt and this teacher just like told me very scolding was like, pull down your skirt. That's too short. And like, <sighs> yeah. And I just remember being like, oh my God, I'm like 10 years old. Like who's even looking? Why? Why? Um, yeah. Oh, there's a special place in my naughty list for teachers that were just unnecessarily strict on middle schoolers dress codes like it is hard enough to try and fit in and like wear clothes you're comfortable in in middle school and then teachers that would just call you out make you wear gym shorts I was just like can you leave us alone right and to do that to an elementary schooler like I'm like chill out I'm 10 years old Mm -hmm. um so you know I was very aware of my body like I said at a very early age and then I think that a lot of people like I had an older brother have an older brother um and he would always bring like his friends that were girls around the house and they were just shaped very differently than I was they were just very skinny and 
tiny and that was just not my body type and that was evident at such an early age and I will never forget this feeling that one time I had plans with my friend and I was supposed to leave the house at a certain time to go meet up with her and I peeked out my front door and I saw my brother was outside with two of his his friends that were girls and I just remember looking at them and being like oh my god they're so skinny and I was wearing shorts and I was just like I just don't want them to see my fat legs and so I literally like jumped out my back door and like snuck around my house to leave oh my god. because I was so embarrassed of what my body looked like mm-hmm. and you know I just like I think of that now I mean again we'll get into this with the natural progression of this episode but I just feel like that for me coupled with just like everything I heard from my family and I think everyone to some extent can speak to this that someone in their family probably made them feel uncomfortable with their body at a very early age I mean, like, God forbid, but I just feel like that's what happens a lot of the times. And I know my parents told me at a very early age, they were like, you're kind of chunky. We should put you in sports. And I just remember feeling like I have to be in sports in order to look a certain way, in order to be desirable. Because, like, if not, I'm just going to be fat. And, yeah, so. Oh, man. What about you, Abby? (laughs) I have so many thoughts on everything you said. (laughs) I mean, okay, well, I can share a bit about my experience and then we can chat. But yeah, I mean, I grew up like every, not every, but like a lot of kids before they hit puberty, I was kind of a string bean, you know? Um, I was really tall. I was the tallest kid in my kindergarten class was the tallest kid in most of my classes up until I hit puberty and, you know, everyone hit puberty. But I was very used to being tall and skinny and that being part of who I am. And then when I hit puberty in middle school, I was kind of a, not a late bloomer, but I hit it around when most people did. But I think my body, as as many people's do, continued to develop slowly over many years yeah. and into high school. Um, and I didn't really come into my body shape until college, honestly. But I remember middle school just feeling so confused by what was going on to my body and not confused, but just kind of disappointed and trying to wear. I mean, I think about like the the styles that I began to kind of implement that I still implement to this day um, of just wearing really large T-shirts and baggy clothes because I was uncomfortable with my big boobs and big hips that I had not experienced before and like you had mentioned you know a lot of the people around you don't have that body type so who do you look to for style ideas we didn't have like TikTok back then which is what my little 12 year old cousin has been (laughs) using to discover her style we didn't have TikTok I didn't have a MySpace like Mm -hmm. all of I just had my friends and a lot of them were wearing clothes for a body type that I did not have. Yeah. Um, So when I tried to wear their clothes or when I tried to fit into my friend's clothes, it just looked wrong um, to me and just uncomfortable. So was dealing with that a lot in middle school. Um, And we can talk more about like high school and college later. But yeah, it was Mm -hmm. just a time where it was a little bit of confusion obviously we knew what was coming we knew that our bodies would be changing when I first started feeling these changes I had a lot of talks with my mom who was like yep 
this happened to me too you know you, you everyone I went through this when I was your age like just part of it is like the recognition of what's going on and then the acknowledgement that like you're kind of these are the way the cards are dealt and you have to learn how to work with it like I really don't think that I learned how to dress myself um to fit my body type properly like I still think I am learning what type of shirts fit well with my mm, you know okay. big boobs <laughs> like yeah. and and long torso like I'm still learning those things and because I never truly understood them I have dealt with a lot of like like shame and feeling like I should just and also just the idea that I think a lot of it's almost a trend for people to wear big t-shirts and leggings so I was like oh I'll just do what everyone else is doing and at least at that point I don't have to be like showing off my boobs you know right right wow oh it's it's hard I think that especially is hard um when you're curvier when you're just not shaped like stick straight and I feel you, girl. I went through the same thing when my boobs came in. I done had hips since I was 10. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's rough. Like, it is so hard to dress yourself. And you want to wear what all these skinny girls are wearing. But you can't. You have to do what flatters you. Yeah. It's so weird. And it's like, I mean, just on clothing, like, I've always had an issue with trying to wear one trying to wear the sizes of people that I am not like I cannot wear a size small Mm -hmm. in anything it's just never gonna work for me um but also the idea that I can't that that I shouldn't I should say wear low-cut shirts or um spaghetti strap tops things that like I think other girls our age or other girls with different body types can wear because I I just feel like showing off cleavage is like wrong and like Mm -hmm. makes me or I feel like it's not honestly I feel like it's not part of my personality to show off my boobs anyway this is getting into weird territory but I just like all part of this conversation it's part of it's part of the I mean one of the things about body dysmorphia which we can kind of address what it is but it's just the idea that you're criticizing your body and you're almost imagining um, a morphing or an incorrect shape or size of your body Mm -hmm. and um, constantly checking yourself in the mirror, giving yourself negative um, self-talk around the way you look. And it's like the way that you perceive your body to be is not what it actually would look like to a third party. And so because of that, you're very negative with the way that you view it. Exactly. And so an example that I've always felt, and I guess what I'm kind of explaining here is as soon as I got boobs, I felt like anytime I wore a shirt that kind of showed cleavage, um, one, that my boobs looked 10 times bigger and two, in a bad way. I told myself that that was bad and that people would think I was a slut and that they, I'm supposed to be a nice, pretty, well-mannered girl and girls like that don't wear shirts where you can show your cleavage whereas all my friends could wear that same shirt show no cleavage yeah yeah I know I think and we can kind of now like move into high school and college but I had a similar experience I think just with like in high school I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to explore my style 
my mom is like a fashionista diva makeup lover whatever and so she's always trying to like throw that stuff at me always trying to take me shopping and so I think from a very early age I just had a lot of trial and error with what looked good on my body and what did not and my mom was just so quick to tell me like nope that doesn't fit your body type we need to get something else um so I think by the time I was in college I knew what looked good on me but at the same time I still hadn't really established and now we're kind of going into a different side of body dysmorphia and eating disorders and things like that um oh and really quickly I I wanted to share so I developed an eating disorder when I was in middle school and so I was struggling with bulimia um for a couple years when I was in middle school and it wasn't like I would do it all the time, but what I thought was so interesting was that I tried to talk to one of my friends about it and just kind of be open with my friend group. And I'll never forget, one of my friends was just like, well, you don't even throw up that often. Like, I throw up all the time, so, like, you don't really have bulimia. And I just remember, yeah, I just remember feeling like I was in this weird third party, like, third space where I was like, am I just choosing to do this, like, to be cool? Like, why am I choosing to do this? And it wasn't that at all. It was like, no, I was struggling with disordered eating. And as so many young girls do, but I feel like, you know, and this has kind of transferred over into the college atmosphere of what we're going to talk about with just, again, the normalization of disordered eating. Um, you know, it's like, well, you're not as bad as me. It's like this, this fight to be the worst at whatever's going on with you. So Anyways, fast forward to my freshman year of college, I still hadn't really developed the ideas of a healthy lifestyle that I think I have now that I think are like the pillars for how I navigate weight gain and weight loss when I want to try and lose weight. Um, And so yeah, I gained a couple pounds my freshman year. And, you know, I was really struggling. And it was it kind of went into that territory of like, should I throw this up? Or like, should I like what should I do should I not eat breakfast tomorrow should I try and skip breakfast and lunch should I like it was just kind of like the snowball effect and I just had to be really conscious my first couple years of college of not falling back down that rabbit hole of just feeling away about my eating habits and about my body yes it's so difficult this is something that's so important to acknowledge that once you've experienced disordered eating it is something that is like mm-hmm you know what it feels like and you know what mode you have to be in mentally to survive through the disordered eating and Mm -hmm. and change the way your brain is wired and be on that track of disordered eating and it is you have to fight it it will like there will be things that trigger you throughout your whole life that you're like maybe I should just do this again like I know I'll lose a few pounds or whatever it may be um and yeah we can talk about how in college I feel like it's almost encouraged like I can give some stories about um situations that really disheartened me um in college and I I'll also say that I um had what I have never really I I mean I've kind of said that it was a eating, eating disorder but it's also I feel strange like diagnosing it because um because I, I don't know I like I was never I diagnosed with the condition okay. um but yeah I had bad eating habits in the beginning of high school when I went to a new school had no friends um 
which what is what I believed. I had some friends, but I believed I had no friends, no control over my life. And the way I controlled my life was by reducing what I ate and freaking out about the numbers on the scale all the time and punishing myself by not eating things like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I will totally agree with what you said, Casey, that it, when you start gaining weight again, it's like the first thing you think is like, well, that worked that one time or yeah, like, exactly. well, this is what I was taught the first time that I encountered eating disorder, like disordered eating that, mm-hmm. um, this might fix it. So why not try it? Yeah. And in college, like everyone gains some weight when they first go to college. Um, and I, I don't know what stories you have, but I have stories of some girls in my hall who just had these, they were girls that I wasn't close with that really no one on our hall was that close with. They were friends with people outside our hall, but they just had these horrible, um, mindsets about eating. And we could hear them talk about it when we walked past their hall and they would tell us what they did. And it's just like really upsetting. How do you feel like you've seen, um, disordered eating normalized in college? Well, I felt like coming from the background of being an athlete in high school, I didn't have that outlet in college. There was nothing like no sport or club or activity that I was involved in that kept me moving the way that I was used to. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like a lot of former athletes fall into this hole of well, now what do I do to stay active? And then you're just kind of sedentary. You don't know how to work out. And so then the focus shifts to your food and your diet and what you're eating. But truthfully, none of us really learn about proper nutrition. And I felt like I was very lucky to have had this very like unique period in my life where I was living with my dad and my stepmom, who was a holistic nutritionist and or nutritionist. And I took as much knowledge of that as I could but it was always just kind of something I like, you know, I had the knowledge of, but never implemented it. Mm -hmm. So I think coming into college, I really had to focus on my nutrition and kind of go back to those basics. But outwardly, I noticed a lot of my friends counting calories, um, which I used to do. I used to count calories in middle school and high school. Um, I noticed that they were always like in competition with each other for if one of them broke their diet or went over their calories for the day, they would encourage the other to do it. Like they'd be like, well, I had this cookie. Like you should just eat the cookie too. I'm already Mm -hmm. over my calories today. Mm -hmm. And it was just so toxic for me to be in that environment that I just had to make the conscious decision to not engage with it and not say anything about it. And I just had to withdraw. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. You hear so many things and, I mean, it's interesting, you know, from the episode that my brother came on talking about how men also struggle with body dysmorphia, which I think is something that's so important to note in this episode. At the same time, I think that rarely as women do we engage with men um, about those conversations. So just for context, like, yeah, I would only hear girls talking about disordered eating or counting calories or things like that in college, but not to negate the struggles that I'm sure a lot of young men in the college environment had. Yeah, I think it's just a little bit more vocalized in the female sphere. And I think something that's unique about it is um, what what I'm what I was seeing when I first went to college. And I honestly still do see it sometimes is the idea that like women vocalize disordered eating in a way that they make it sound like it's okay and that you Mm -hmm. should be doing it 
And I had never experienced that until college. Like none of my friends had really like vocalized it in that way. And, and I mean, there were people that I found out had disorders um, in high school and I didn't find out until college, like years later, you know, someone telling me down the grapevine, did you know that this person had an eating disorder? Like it was very secretive. And in college, it's not, you don't say I have anorexia. You say, um, oh my God, I only had a coffee for breakfast. And then I had, um, a bagel at 3 PM and then I went and totally blacked, um, at tots. Like that is so normalized. That is is normal and it's encouraged. And then everyone laughs like, oh my God, do you even remember anything? Like, yeah, I heard those conversations all the time. I had close friends who wouldn't eat all day. They would have one meal a day. They would have a coffee for quote unquote breakfast. Mm -hmm. And then they would have one meal for dinner. And, (laughs) and sometimes it would be for drinking. Sometimes it would be because they're too stressed and they have too many classes and too much work. Um, but it doesn't matter. The idea that like we would all talk about it yeah. and no one would say, I mean, we would, we would tell people like you should eat more, but sometimes you wouldn't. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes when I heard people say that in my mind, I would say, oh my God, I can't believe I ate three full meals today. Like, what am I doing wrong? Like, how should I be changing my meal patterns? Right. Oh no. I know <sighs> because especially when you're living freshman year, for your first time alone, as a lot of times in like a traditional dorm, like a traditional hall, you're living yeah. with a ton of girls and you're also maybe living on a co-ed hall where you know that there are guys around and so you want to do what the girls are doing so that, you know, you can impress the guys. I don't know. This isn't really what I was thinking, but like maybe that's the way it is for people. And that's so just like such a toxic environment. If someone has a toxic thought and voices it to 30 other girls and there's no like adult around to be like "Mm, technically no (laughs) not to say adults are like the all-knowing but right it's it's just an easy way for misinformation to spread yeah you're a ton of impressionable impressionable young women Mm -hmm. that only have each other to bounce ideas off of exactly okay and then did you want to talk about facetune at all um i mean i think we could talk about this generally because i honestly do not and have never used Facetune, but I do have several friends who still use it to like whiten their teeth or to like mm-hmm. give themselves a fake tan. But when you have Facetune like that, you have to pay for it. It's like that doesn't yeah. mean it's an app where you can edit oh, stuff. Yeah. I, um, if people don't know, mine, yeah, like a friend of mine uses Facetune, and I remember one time I sent her a picture of myself, and I was like, I really like this picture, but my teeth just look so yellow. <laughs> She was like, girl, I got you. And like, she edited it for me and sent me back the picture with whitened teeth. And I had another friend, like one time I had a picture of me at the bar, but I had like red lipstick that was on my chin. And another one of my friends was like, I got you. And you space tune and completely <laughs> erased the lipstick off my face. Like I was like, this is crazy. It is insane. And it can be used for things like teeth whitening and like fake tan and filters, yeah. general filtering stuff. But I mean, once you pay for that app, I might be wrong because I've never had it, but I'm pretty sure once you pay like the two bucks or whatever, you can also do all the other editing things, which is like Add changing the, the, yeah, changing the size of your body, changing your waist yeah. size, changing the size of your legs, changing the shape of your hips, like mm-hmm. all of that stuff can be. And, and I just feel like it's such a slippery slope 
Like I would never download it just to whiten my teeth because then I would be like, oh, well, just to see what it looks like. Right, let's exactly. edit. Let's see what I would look like if I were a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a route that I don't even need to go down. But I know yeah. that with the rise of social media, with the rise of Instagram and Instagram influencers and the freaking mm-hmm. Kardashian body, like I feel like face tuning has become normalized in a way that people don't always admit that they've done things to their bodies but in a way that people will talk about how they have facetune and editing apps like that and that they do regularly use them yeah yeah so that's interesting so let's get into some stats about body dysmorphia and disordered eating in the u.s and how common it is yeah so i mean These, we really just have a couple stats, but I do think they're kind of interesting. So eating disorders affect um, about 9% of the world population and about 9% of the U.S. population will suffer from an eating disorder at some point in their life. And I don't, I can pull up the stats for men versus women, but um, men's eating disorders are a little less common than women's, but that's not to say that they're uncommon. And I can pull those up. And I think, again, important to remember that, and you know, even what's interesting in you sharing your own experience, it can be really hard for people to say or categorize themselves as having had or have an eating disorder. Um, And it's uncomfortable. Like even for me to tell people that I struggled with bulimia as a child, like that is hard to say because was I ever diagnosed? No. But a lot of people know the feeling of an eating disorder and it's okay to say that you had one. And so I feel like we're still stuck in the stigma in the United States, especially with men, but also, of course, with women as well, where these are the stats, but I can imagine that so many people go undiagnosed for eating disorders and don't talk about it. Yeah, especially, I think especially like we said, for for men who it's just something that is not um, as highly um, talked about, I guess. I don't know how to say that better, but just something that I think more women are privy to believing they could have or have had, whereas men would maybe not even diagnose themselves as that if they were having issues with biodysmorphia or disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not something that men would talk about amongst other men versus I think a lot of women would talk about amongst other women. And that's kind of generalizing. Maybe that's not the case, but I'm trying to find a stat and I'm not finding a great one. So I don't want to share any, any misinformation, but if I do find the correct stat, I'll put it in the description. Our last stat is that less than 6% of people with eating disorders are medically diagnosed as underweight, like medically underweight. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that statistic speaks to the fact that maybe some of those people aren't just getting, are just not getting medically diagnosed as underweight. I don't know, but I think it's also speaking to the fact that like you were saying, it's hard to diagnose yourself with this. And yeah. um, some people would say that they're not experiencing an eating disorder because they're not underweight. But just because you're not underweight doesn't mean that you don't have an eating disorder. Like people who yeah. are obese could be suffering from bulimia, binging disorder, or from anorexia. And I one of the resources I shared is a um, memoir from an obese woman who has struggled with eating disorders her whole life um for a different perspective and it's just interesting that that is a very that's a minority of the population that has eating disorders being diagnosed as underweight so it can be seen and is in multiple different forms 
so next we're going to be talking about our tips for creating healthy relationships with our bodies. So let's get into that. I think my biggest one that I just want to share is the idea of intuitive eating. So it's not necessarily counting calories or telling, like structuring your diet um, strategically. It really is just the idea that on a daily basis, when you're living a healthy lifestyle, when you're exercising, when you're drinking enough water, it's the idea of trusting your body and knowing that your body's going to tell you what you need to eat and being okay with that. If one day you're craving something fattier or something sweeter or what have you, it's just kind of going with the flow of what your body craves and not making yourself feel guilty about indulging yourself in that. So I would say that's something that I've been doing for a few years now and it's really helped me um, and other friends of mine who've really struggled with weight gain and other things like that have also adapted intuitive eating and you know I find that it really works for me so yeah I really like that one and I think it's also it's also helped me specifically with portion sizes like mm. just eating at a like not at a rapid pace and stopping eating when you're full like when your body feels full don't finish the meal save it for later yeah. you know what I mean yeah. and vice versa if you're still hungry after you've finished your portion give yourself a couple minutes to digest and then eat a little bit more if you're still hungry. Like there's no reason to just completely restrict portion sizes if your body clearly wants more food. Yeah, it's true. And going off of that, I just want to say that for people who eating disorders are largely a psychology, kind of like what you were talking about, Abby, where disordered eating is this, um, sort of like step by step where you feel yourself spiraling and you know what it feels like to be in this mindset of disordered eating. I used to struggle with this idea of binge eating a lot where it's like I could not stop myself from eating. I just had to eat more and more and more even if I felt nauseous. And so after targeting, again, what you were saying, just stopping that pattern of thought in its tracks and teaching yourself to react differently in every new situation where you feel tempted to fall back into those uh, those old habits, I feel like intuitive eating is really good for that because you can kind of give yourself a pass one day if, no, 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 like I'm not really just trying to binge eat until I'm sick. I actually just have a big appetite today and it could be different tomorrow. No, I'm not trying to restrict my eating. I'm just really not hungry today and that's good too. Yes, and this goes into something else that I wrote down like just – Noticing your thoughts as you have them and specifically noticing those like negative thoughts that pop into your head and recognizing them and acknowledging them. And then, you know, for those that feel immediately illogical, um, like, for example, I'm going to gain 10 pounds if I eat this piece of cake, like do your best to immediately just send off those thoughts, like immediately let it go. and try and recognize that like this isn't a logical thought like scientifically mathematically it's not logical and then which I know can be really difficult but do your best to like use your common sense judgments on those and then um on those that maybe feel like they could be more realistic for example in the same example like I'm going to gain one pound by if I eat this piece of cake like perform some evaluation and some critical thinking and try and understand like okay why am I thinking that what's caused me to believe that Mm -hmm. um 
how different is my life going to be if I eat this versus if I don't eat this? How will I feel mentally, physically, emotionally if I eat this, if I don't eat this? Um, Not to like, you know, go down a rabbit hole, like evaluating one thought, but just try and um, one way to stop negative self-talk because it does become a loop is just taking a minute to recognize when you have an obscure thought and then evaluate where you think it's coming from and try and stop that loop because once those negative self-talks go unnoticed they'll start forming negative stories in your head which become negative truths to yourself if you don't um, acknowledge them ever as something that isn't true yeah I think another one that um, kind of goes off the face tune and social media stuff is just to try your best to unfilter your life and I don't mean that by like never using sepia tones or like never using <laughs> no black and white um, filter yeah yeah no grayscale um <laughs> but no I just mean more of like try your best to um go for a bit without editing your photos by like changing some type of yeah for example like editing your face structure with face you don't know if people do that or like change the lighting so that your cheekbones look um more pronounced it really depends on who you are as what you might be doing but try your best to not do those things intentionally and mm-hmm. post them and um see how over time your brain because over time your brain will begin to notice like oh I do love myself without those filters on them and without and that's not to say like you shouldn't do makeup and you shouldn't like do things that um I guess accentuate your features that you do enjoy but um it's definitely helped me to like just stop filtering my pictures altogether kind of like cold turkey and yeah um it also helps to not nitpick over what you've published then and then you're not like constantly looking back at like oh my gosh like what did people think of the way I edited that does it you know at the same time you're not nitpicking your body in that photo and how more comments mean your body looks better in that photo or anything like that and I think the last one that I'll say is just one thing that changed my perspective on all of this was just um creating a flexible workout schedule for myself and having the focus be building strength and not losing weight And I distinctly remember the moment I was right before my 20, my 20th birthday. I just remember making a really conscious decision that I wanted to go into my 20s just being like the healthiest me possible and stop having these hangups around um, self-consciousness with my body. And so I just kind of had to sit with myself and target all of the negative stories, kind of like you were saying, all the negative self-talk, all of the talk that had come from family members and people in my life who had created this narrative of my body for me that I was unhealthy, that I was overweight, that I was fat. And once I sat down and was like, okay, how can I feel the most confident in my body possible? For me, it was working out and not just like working out. It was finding a way to enjoy a cardio activity finding an activity that brought me peace and calm with myself, which was yoga, um, and then finding a way to feel empowered and build strength at the same time. And so for me, that looks like I started weight training, I started running, and I got really into yoga when I was in college. And so those were just all things that I think helped me develop a healthier lifestyle. And again, just created pillars, not for me to come back to, to lose weight or like to get right with myself if I felt like I was off balance, 
but to really just gauge in my life, am I having quiet time for myself? Am I doing something that's empowering to me? Am I doing something that specifically is targeting the health of my body? And so with all of that, I'll just say that, you know, that keeps me at my center, even when I'm not in a good place. And I'm just easy with myself. If even if I fall off the normal workout schedule, even just doing something, being mindful of doing something for my body every day, like stretching, or just being aware of how my body feels, if it's tight, if it's tired, if it needs more food, if it needs more water, and, and quickly going off of that, I think, um, anytime that I recognize that my eating habits have not been the healthiest, I always add instead of subtract. So before I start Mm. telling myself, I can't have that cookie today, I say, today I'm going to eat three portions of vegetables and I'm not going to worry how much junk food I've been eating. I'm just going to try and increase my vegetable intake or I'm just going to try and drink more water today. And so naturally over time, what has happened for me is that when I'm adding those things, it takes away from the negative spiral, the negative mentality of feeling like I have to cut something out in order to feel healthier. All I, all I do is add and then slowly I feel like everything shift. I naturally start to eat healthier. I naturally start to drink more water and crave less sugar. So that's great. I feel like it adds to the concept of abundance, you know, mm-hmm. and the idea and reframing the idea of like negativity and diet culture and things like that, that we've been taught, especially as women. And yeah. I also like what you said about like the way that you're listening to your body and how that those exercises that you've been doing, what you've been doing to work out and engage yourself physically has changed over time. And I think it would be different for everyone, but I like how kind of going off intuitive eating, it's almost like intuitive movement. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. so you're listening to yourself, you're doing, you're reflecting each day and evaluating how you feel and then basing your movements off of that. And I think that's such an important thing and it would require anyone who's like looking to get Um, more movement into their lives in a meaningful way to just do some evaluation first and then continue that evaluation on what makes you happy, what makes you feel good, what makes you sweat, what makes you feel stronger and all of that that you mentioned. Thank you. And I just want to reiterate for people, if like working out is not your thing, find a way to be active, even if it is just for 10 minutes every day. Mm -hmm. Like when I started running, I was on a mission to enjoy running. I still don't enjoy running, but <laughs> I started out by just running 10 minutes every day. And then I brought that up to 12 minutes and I'm stuck at 12 minutes and I've been stuck at 12 minutes for three years. But, you know, like I know that in 12 minutes I get the cardio that I need and then I can move on to other exercises that I, that I enjoy. So honestly, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as being mindful with your reps. If you're at the gym and you usually do 20 reps and today you're tired and you only feel like doing 15, then do 15 and go home and try again the next day. Like, it's okay. I think what you said is is perfect, Abby, like intuitive exercise or intuitive movement. Exactly. And I also like, you wrote down something about giving yourself a free pass to start over every day. Like, I don't know yeah. if you want to touch on that, but I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about too. Like, if you have a crap day one day, and it's not a crap day if you do five fewer reps than what you normally do, it's not a big mm-hmm. deal because every day is a new day. And and yeah. one day by day, you really aren't having that much variation in your life, you know? Um, and that, sure. you know, if you have a rough day, like, there's literally a new day, a new sunrise the next day where you can choose to have a completely different mindset if you want to. Nothing is stopping you from that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it all goes together. Like, I feel like 
yeah, start over every day, be intuitive with yourself and just be easy with yourself. Exactly. There's one more thing I wanted to touch on. I don't know if you have more to talk about too, but um, one thing that I do want to recognize because we were talking about it a bit um, in terms of this idea that in college, sometimes we interacted with people who were encouraging these disordered eating habits, not that they were doing it intentionally, um, not that they were purposely encouraging you to do the same as them, anything like that. But I think it's important that you take time to at least be conscious in your relationships in your life right now of um, any conversations or interactions that are perpetuating negative patterns and negative self-talk in your life and not becoming passive to that um, or not becoming ignorant to that and instead trying to engage and have critical conversations with those people about how you'd like to make changes in your own life or how um, certain things that you talk about, like just digging into them more, maybe asking questions about them. Um, like, why is it that, you know, you only ate one meal today or like, oh, is there like something else going on that's giving you a lot of stress or like, is there any way that I can help you maybe um, uh, help you plan your meals a bit better or things like that where you're not trying to change any patterns in their life but just even having those conversations may help you to um I guess be more aware of your own eating habits not and this uh, this is almost sounding like you're being um a little too inquisitive on other people's patterns you know other people's patterns are not your own and um you don't control other people's eating habits obviously but it's also more of like if you feel someone else's conversations about that stuff like a friend is almost encouraging you to act the same way you should maybe have a conversation with them about that and just say hey like um I feel like recently when we've been talking about the way we're eating like it's making me feel like I shouldn't eat as much and I don't want to live like that um is there a way that maybe we could like talk about those things differently in the future something like that so because those people you know you care about them you want to continue relationships with them not to cut them out of your life but um, also you don't want to be passive in relationships like that and just allow conversations that are causing more negative um, energy in your life to continue yeah yeah thank you guys so much for listening to this episode on the mindful femme we do recognize that it was a very tough episode um, to talk about as body dysmorphia is something that likely so many people have experienced or come in contact with in their lifetimes so in this episode, we also talked about voting. So please be sure to go register and vote. Um, a lot of our information was given for voters in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. And we hope that you guys take advantage of the resources down below to help someone in your life this week get registered and go to the voting polls. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. La, 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 la.